sir. All right. As uh, if any of you are familiar with D and D, uh, then you know it's about to start and about to happen. And if you're not familiar with D and D, well, then let me tell you. Um, as all good D and D campaigns, we open up with a prayer. So will you pray with me. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for our time together. Uh, may you be glorified uh, in our week at Pepperdine. May we find rest. May we find encouragement. May we find joy and fun uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ, celebrating your work, celebrating your wonder. Uh, may we also find healing for those of us who are tired and burned out and stressed. And above all, uh, we praise Jesus, our creator, sustainer, redeemer. Forgive us of our sins, Father, and give us the strength to forgive those who sin against us. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right. You are in the void, the darkness. There is no light, no sound, no you, no me, no us. And then there's you. And how does one become aware of one in the void? I do not know, in that liminal space between existence and non-existence, but here you are. It's not a D&D campaign if somebody doesn't open up a drink. <laughs> and then three things happen to you simultaneously, but for the purposes of narration, we're gonna go in a linear fashion. The first thing is you feel multiple things, uh, an explosion, a propulsion backwards, and then you feel falling, you feel wind brushing against you, you feel soot and uh, dust particles and rocks beating against you, you feel heat and then cold, and you realize you are falling. You hear the sounds of first an explosion, a volcanic eruption that came from beneath you, how you do not know, and yet here you are, and you hear the, the winds rushing around you, and, and you hear screams, and, and victory, defeat, you, you do not know, you are not aware, but you realize that you and your friends are falling, and you see what was once a throne room that you recognize, but are not entirely sure how you got here evaporate beneath that explosive, corrupt, destructive force of fire and ash and smoke, and you now recognize the world around you as the sky, and you are falling hundreds of feet above the earth. You and your friends, your, your weaponry shakes against you. You look for your favorite weapon that you make sure to roll a dexterity saving throw on and succeed to hold on to it. And then, beneath or from within, you are not sure, a massive obsidian dragon bursts forth. Its skin and scales are covered with emeralds and jewels, purple and black colors that you've never even seen before. Lightning crackles around its ancient and old body, and a voice speaks within your mind. You have arisen, Thanatu. I will rend your world in blood and flame. Prepare for the sundering. 
and were this a D&D campaign, I would tell you to roll initiative. <laughs> Welcome to D&D and Jesus, a class dedicated to the intersection between my favorite Lord and Savior and my favorite tabletop role-playing game. My name is Kyle Sapp. I am a grateful follower of Jesus, though admittedly flawed as a follower and absolutely flawed as a dungeon master. <laughs> um, just, I want to metagame this class a little bit. Uh, I wrote uh, six sections, and as I was thinking about how do we do this, it felt boring to just be linear and go, first we're going to talk about my story, and then we're going to talk about the history of D&D, &D, and then we're going to talk about the benefits and the challenges, blah, blah, blah. So instead what we're going to do, in all classic D&D &D fashion, we're going to leave it to fate, or chance, or divine intervention. I don't know how God works with dice rolls, and that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> um, but we have six options. We may get to all of them. It just really depends on what the dice rolls is. Here's our 1 through 10. Here's our 11 through 20. So actually, by definition, we won't get to everything. Um, there are questions. If you have them, feel free to ask them. Um, if we go through three and then we want to roll some more, we can do that. Uh, if this works out, fantastic. If it doesn't, that's okay. He, he didn't pay for this class anyway. All right. Uh, roll one. Here we go. A four. Ooh. Okay, well, we're going to get a new dice because that's a bad number. <laughs> In a real D&D campaign, that's a bad number. Also, just a fun fact about my dice set, um, all of them, with the exception of one, came from bath bombs. So if you ever want to sit in a bath balmy bubbly experience and then have dice at the end of that experience, let me know. Warning, a D4, which is a pyramid, is a dangerous thing to step on when you're naked. So I would suggest gathering your dice before getting out of the tub, but you do you boo. All right, let's talk about my story. Uh, I started playing D&D during what is called uh, uh, 3.5 edition. Uh, I was a junior in high school. Uh, I played D&D before it became popular, so our D&D campaigns, much like Fight Club, were not talked about, uh, except among the dorks in the room. Um, we would go up to my friend's room around 11 p.m. at night with a bag of Doritos, uh, a whole case of Mountain Dew, and some oatmeal cream pies by Little Debbie's. And this is what our sustenance was for the next four hours of adventuring. My first character was a man named Belladon the Mighty. He was a fighter. He was not good at fighting. Uh, my DM, realizing that this first experience wasn't going very well, um, created a side quest where I got to pursue uh, a character who was based off of my high school crush in youth group at the time and win her over and then we got married because we're good Christians and that night uh, after the marital bliss was experienced he grew wings so if that doesn't define every Christian teenager's dream I don't know what does. Uh, off and on I played through college uh, but then when I moved out to California I didn't really have a group and so I didn't play a lot uh, and but when I interestingly when I became a preacher seven years ago the church I moved to had a core group of people who played D&D. &D. Wow. Uh, and uh, they were really hoity-toity about it. They were like, well, there's already eight of us, so you can't really join because it's a really big party. And I was like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> oh, that sounds like fun. So uh, Sunday mornings, the DM was our worship minister at the time, so Sunday morning I would go in to his office before, before having to get ready because he got there stupidly early, as did I. Uh, and we would talk about D&D &D, and he would tell me about the campaign they were doing. And they were doing um, 
the rise of some dragon queen, the rise of the dragon queen, I think. It was like the first part, and there's a party. The rise of Tiamat? Yes. No, the second one. The one after. There's, there's a, there was a rise, there was a dragon queen. I don't remember. It's been Horde seven years. Yes, that's what it was. It was Horde of the Dragon Queen. I'm a nerd too. Yes. Um, so anyway, so then I started uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons with some of them, and then in 2019 I started dungeon mastering for the first time. Um, after listening to the Adventure Zone a lot and being like, I bet I can do this, and also I was getting really bored with my preaching, so I need to find a way to be more creative. <laughs> uh, so that's it. I've been DMing for three years. I've run four campaigns. None of them have ever finished. Um, <laughs> Which, if that's not D&D, I don't know what is. Um, but all of them have finished in my head, and all of the heroes succeeded, so good for them. All right, that's our history. Let's go to our next chapter. Any questions about that? How is that number four? Oh, sorry. Uh, it's one through ten. Yeah. So we roll, in any number that lands one through ten, we're going to choose this option. Okay? Or this option, or this option. Okay. So we're going in three parts here. Got it. Part one, part two, part three. Okay. So four is between one through ten. Got it. There we go. 11 through 20, we're on this section now. Got it. Make sense? Yep. Cool. My question was, you said that, that you were into D&D before it was cool. What decade was that? Uh, it was the mid-90s. Ah, then you were. Okay. I played from 1979 to about 1983. Oh, my goodness. So that's... Is that, that was the original old. eight. Yeah. Well, actually, I, we played some of the original basic Dungeons & Dragons, and then we went to Advanced Oh, okay. So were you playing it when it was still Gygax's The Fantasy Game? Yes. Oh, okay. That I've played once. I, I'm surprised that game lasted because it's just, it's so challenging compared to what we have now. Well, I don't know. I used to have all the, oh. all the modules for yeah, yeah. campaigns. Living the dreams. <laughs> all right, let's go to uh, part two. Challenges or benefits, depending on what the dice tells us. A 16. See, better dice. Benefits. All right, this is the stuff that I really wanted to talk about anyway. Uh, also, you can check. Is that a 16? That is not. See, I didn't lie. Sometimes DMs lie and make you think things because they're, they're liars. All right, I wanted, uh, like, and this is what, what really kind of I wanted to get to, so I'm glad I rolled a 16. I want to talk about how D&D can bless the church and how it blessed me. I burned out from ministry uh, in 2020, along with, like, everyone. Um, but I, 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 I didn't want to quit because my wife was in nursing school and I needed the money. Uh, and I love Jesus. And I loved my church some days. Um, also, our youth minister was leaving, and so I didn't want to leave. The, it's the whole thing. But anyway... And so part of my healing, and I'm not healed, I'm still wrestling with a lot of the burnout, but part of my journey into finding healthier spaces involved playing D&D. &D. It involved having fun. I'd stopped having fun in my life. And as I was having fun and reflecting on, like, actually my faith and my friends, they're growing. And so I want to talk a little bit about what that is like. So I would say that the first benefit... There we go. Sorry, my handwriting is bad, but it's storytelling. D&D uh, &D is a system of rules and challenges uh, and uh, boundaries and parameters 
But the core of the game is the opportunity to tell stories. And human beings are storied creatures. We understand life through stories. We understand ourselves through stories. We understand each other through stories. Uh, as, you, as you think about the stories that you tell in D&D, um, it's, it's fantasy, but beneath the surface of that fantasy is reality. And in that space where reality and fantasy mix, you get to think about some of the greater themes of life. Uh, so think about um, things that we all experience. Grief. The struggle of greed. Uh, loneliness. The desire for community. Uh, we did a campaign, one of my, uh, one of the very opening campaigns, uh, quest for one of our campaigns. We called it Gnome Alone. And it is exactly what you think it is. It's a, it was a quest based off of the movie Home Alone. Involving a gnome. <laughs> um, but at the end of that quest, the, the, the villain who had kidnapped one of the, the gnome party member, which took a lot of lucky dice rolls on my part to make that work, um, she turned out to be a grieving mother who had lost her child and had never coped. And so this like blood rush for like we're gonna kill her we're gonna get our buddy back all of a sudden it was like well wait a minute is would my character actually murder this woman and what was that like and so that created this dialogue about loss and pain and grief and my church has been through a lot of grief and loss in the last seven years uh, my, my first two years there, we lost four children um, through stillbirth, through miscarriages, and so forth. Um, and so there's a lot of grief uh, among some of the families in my congregation. None of them are in this campaign, but we all experienced that together. And so you, you get this opportunity in telling these stories. Uh, as you're telling these fictional stories, you also get to think about, like, you know, what is worth keeping in life? You know, what motivates you? I really appreciate when the role-playing role -playing aspect of the game where you do what you think your character would do over what you want to do. So here's an example. Sunday we were playing a D&D &D game. It was just a one-shot. Uh, the, <laughs> the world was coming to an end, and this group of adventurers had decided to spend their last moments seeking vengeance on a necromancer who had murdered the wife of one of their party members. You know, classic Christian stuff. <laughs> and at the, as it got to the very last, you know, the boss fight, uh, he, had, he had actually used this woman's life essence to open up a portal to another world to escape the coming calamity. And like, they were like, well, why can't we stop the calamity? He's like, you can't. Not everything can happen in a fantasy game. There are limits. So... So, so the players, and, like he was, and the, the necromancer, who didn't really know these, these guys from Adam except for one, one character, was like, you don't have to fight me. You can just come with me. Like, I'm, I'm doing this to survive. And one of the characters, one of the players, she had a moment where she was like, hold on. And she rolled a dice. <laughs> and she didn't tell me what she was doing. I was like, okay. And afterwards, she said, the reason I rolled the dice is, I couldn't decide if my character was good or not. 
because they're a little chaotic. And, and like, there's a part of me that thought, you know, I think the character would jump through that portal and save herself and be okay with it. But, but the dice roll said to do that. And then I was like, no, I actually think my character is a good person on the inside. And when push comes to shove, she's going to sacrifice herself for the greater good. And that's what she did. And so she wrestled with that, like that motivation, that internal thing that we all do. The joyful thing about D&D is you get to wrestle with those internal motivations in a safe space. <laughs> like you don't have any life altering consequences in this moment, except for the fact that maybe your character dies and then you just write junior at the, at the top of your uh, name. <laughs> Question? Yes. So I know nothing about D&D. That's okay. Um, so I take it you roll the dice sometimes to just, so a decision can yes. be made? Yes, all decisions are made through so, dice rolls. So what are the implications of that and agency, you know? Great question. Yeah. I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> but that's a question you wrestle with in this game oh, is what okay. is agency? Okay. You know, what is up to, what can you control versus what can't you control? That is a wonderful question that D&D allows us to think through. Huh. Because... You think about it, like, you and I have choices, right? But there are also things that even in our choices, we can't control. Right. You know, our youth minister at church, um, he is a picky eater, like, ridiculously so. And I make fun of him for him every day. Because he's, like, a toddler. <laughs> I'm not joking. Like, chicken nuggets, macaroni and cheese, PB&J. That's it. Wow. Cheez-Its. <laughs> no juice boxes, though. He drinks lots of water. So good for him. <laughs> but to what degree can he control that? To what degree did he make his taste buds? Did he, did he have his brain go, oh, I like this, I don't like that? Like, it's not like he analyzes a well-cooked medium-rare steak and goes, hmm, this is disgusting. If he did that, he would be of the devil and we would fire him immediately. <laughs> and so there is, you get to wrestle with those deeper questions of agency, control, fate, etc. The next thing that I want to talk about, the benefit is, um, it's community. It's community building. Anyone who's played a D&D campaign, if you play long enough, you love those people. They are your family. They are your family. You talk about your favorite campaigns. You laugh about the moments. Like, like the person who was playing a fairy had another campaign with another person in the group where they were having a boss fight, but for whatever reason, um, that particular character was playing someone who put a bag on their head and stood in the corner during the entire boss fight and did nothing, but they laughed about it. I would have been kind of angry, but whatever. Uh, there's a dad at our church where he's a young man who became a dad. And over the fall, uh, he, myself, him, his father-in-law, and then another friend, we took a congratulations trip. And we played a D&D &D game um, called The Quest for the Legend Daddy Armor. And it was a D&D &D quest that I designed um, all about fatherhood. Uh, and so he had the, one of the campaign, one of the things I think was like, you have to quiet a toddler. The other one was they went through the life of a child. And the final part of this little chain was, uh, your teenage daughter is dating someone who turns out to be a vampire and you have to n navigate. How do you break them up or do you accept them? And the rogue in the group stabbed him in the back and was like, all right, roll initiative. You're, you're fighting Dracula now, whatever. Um, but as a part of that quest, also, we bought him the stereotypical dad outfit of a collared white shirt, jean shorts, and New Balance shoes. And every time he got a piece of the Legend Daddy armor, we handed him 
a collared white shirt, jean shorts, <laughs> New Balance shoes, and he became the legend daddy. Uh, and they are some of my closest friends. I love them to death. And his son is the cutest thing in the world. I'm not saying that D&D made his son adorable, but I'm not not saying that either. <laughs> if you want cute babies, play more D&D. Um, speaking of that, uh, there are three things. Man, it's not going well. Jacob left already. Uh, he's kidding. He's got to go to his own class. Um, there are three things that I want you to have if you want them. Uh, the first one is uh, a sample adventure concept that my buddy Joe made. It's called The Tomb of the First Man. A couple of years ago, Joe was, inve was in investigating the ways in which D&D and evangelism can intersect. And so he created some campaigns to help people talk about Christian themes. So you can have that if you want it. Um, there's also the Legend Daddy uh, quest line that I made. Uh, and then there's... Um, <laughs> I have a character who is dear, near and dear to my heart called Mr. Tordell, and he has a bizarre bizarre of wondered and weird items for adventurings and whatnots. He also has a song, but you don't get to hear it. Anyway, uh, it's just a list of magical items. I'm always looking for material to think about to tweak, so if you want that, you're welcome to it um, at no cost. So anyway, so community is another great benefit. And think about it like this. You have church softball leagues. You have church game nights. You have church wrestling matches, although I don't know why you do that. Those are usually church splits, I guess. But uh, we have all of these things where we try to build community. Well, D&D is a communal vehicle for people. It is a, like, why do all of our community events require that I have to be able to run fast without losing my breath after 30 seconds? It's not fair. <laughs> uh, another benefit, and this one has been really important for me, It's a place to provide context for skill development. Re real skill development, not like fantasy character skill development. <laughs> um, I, I have a friend who was doing a and d kind of quest idea on her college campus. She did it every week. It was called Dungeons and Dragons and Devotionals. <laughs> and she had a, a, a friend start attending that no one really knew, but she really liked D&D and she was very shy. And through D&D, she started kind of coming out of her shell. She started talking more. She became more comfortable in her skin. D&D like, is a communal game. You talk, you teamwork, you problem solve together. And so she was learning, um, you know, how to have that in a safe place. And her character did some great things, and she got cheered. And uh, she said, you know, this is, this is one of the first times I've ever felt like I accomplished anything. And I know we can say, like, okay, well, yeah, her character slew the dreaded druid, but that really didn't do anything. Like, was that really a big deal? I don't know. The dude scored a lot of points in a basketball game the other day, and we cheered him on like he just saved the world. But, right. <laughs> like, like, why are we so excited about that, but somehow this gets relegated to fantasy and didn't do anything? Right. It's, it's still, it's important. It matters. Because in some ways, there's a subjective nature to accomplishments. And that's not a bad thing. But I think all things can be objectively respected. Uh, so we learn conversation, we learn team building, we learn how to creative problem solve. Um, recently, I have moved out of the D&D &D space where you just fight a lot of things and moved into puzzles and combat. Uh, so the, the, this quest, right? This quest which starts with a, with a gigantic battle uh, against uh, an Azure Emerald Am Amethyst Dragon. They're level 20, by the way. We started a campaign where they were level 20. 
We'll get to the end, I promise. <laughs> they, they do beat the dragon. The, the barbarian made, uh, by the way, falling fight dynamics is so much fun to explore. Um, everything's a dex check. But anyway, the barbarian um, made a, just an amazing role that allowed him to jump on the dragon, and it discovered that the dragon was being controlled by a hooded figure who he knocked off with, again, just a beautiful swing of his axe. And so they beat the dragon, and they really did beat the dragon. I didn't have to cheat for them. And they go pursue, uh, they go pursue the witch into her cavern. And, you know, all D&D caverns have weird puzzles because when you're designing a, a place, you always put puzzles in your house. <laughs> and so they come to this room, and it's glowing green, and beneath them is a, a liquid substance that's bubbling. You know, perception check of like two reveals it's acid. In the middle is a stone column. On the other side is a door. And so they have to navigate how to get across. Uh, they do an investigation check. It reveals that there is a, an obelisk with teeth and a bowl. And one of the characters, not the smartest of the characters, the barbarian, I think, actually, is like, oh, I'm just going to put my hand in that thing's mouth as a joke. And it's like, okay, it clamps down on you, and blood starts to drain from you. You're losing life points. One, two, three, four. And as he was losing his life points, a path began to emerge into the center of the room to the, to the obelisk. And so the, like, when he removed it, it stayed, but it wasn't complete. So they had to decide, like, okay, do we just let the barbarian keep taking the hit? Or no, they, they offer it up themselves. So that got them to the center of the room. How does that, how does that happen? A, a path appears. Magic. What, yeah. <laughs> what decides that? A, Me. Roll a dice? No, I do. I, had, I created oh, this puzzle. that's what the dungeon yeah. master. Okay. Yes, the dungeon master, this is a great question. The dungeon master control plans the puzzles, plans the adventure. The characters decide the direction they go in that adventure. Okay. Yeah. And so I created this puzzle where you have to drain your blood to find the path. And I think there was like a lesson that said sacrifice reveals direction or something like that. So they get to the stone obelisk in the middle of the acidic pit. Nobody falls in, thank thankfully. Otherwise, the quest would have been over at the beginning. Uh, and then they find a, a half-elf decayed skeleton dressed like a 19th century nanny with an umbrella that had a parrot for a handle. Oh, no. <laughs> not a fan of Mary Poppins <laughs> and so when they picked up the umbrella it started saying spit spot spit spot spit spot and one of the characters just started to spit and that led to the path on the next side so fun little fluid like puzzles I, all of my puzzles are not this morbid I promise um, but it's a, it's a creative problem solving thing um, it, it teaches cause and effect my son has ADHD he's 10 years old he doesn't think through like now. And so we started playing D&D to help him process, okay, if I make a decision, things happen because of that decision. My decisions impact the world around me. A conversation about agency, perhaps. And so we learn, you know, if, if, you, if, if you want to rescue the sheep, well, okay, but you can't rescue a sheep by swinging your axe at it, which is what he did. And it's like, oh, you killed the sheep. Like, oh. Yeah. You failed the quest. Uh, one campaign, <laughs> oh my goodness. I had a locked door to a room, and they were in a griffin roost, and so there's hay everywhere, and there's a door up, and it's locked. They had a rogue. They could have just picked the lock, but they didn't want to do that. 
And so they, they searched and they found a key ring, but there was no key on it. And so one of the members goes, oh, this is like a needle in a haystack puzzle, I bet. So we got to find the key in the haystack. Spoiler alert, that wasn't the puzzle. The puzzle was, it's a locked door, open the locked door. So they decided, and this room is probably 60 feet or so, which is like 12 squares by 12 squares or something. They thought it would be a great idea. The fastest way to get through the hay bales was to burn all of the hay. And as the DM, it's not my job to tell them that's stupid. It's my job to let them make their choices. And so they <laughs> light all of this hay on fire. And hay burns pretty quickly, but this is a roost feeding griffins. There is a lot of hay. So there's a lot of smoke, and so like they had to make constitution shaving throws from passing out from all of the smoke. It was ventilated, so it wasn't too bad. Uh, and a good amount of time elapsed for the hay to burn. And so the hay burns away, and they're like, all right, we look for the key. And it's like, there's no key. And it's like, well, then how do we open the door? And the rogue goes, could I lock? Could I pick it? Could I just pick the lock? Like, You're a level six rogue. Don't you think you could pick a lock? Do you not believe in yourself? Like, oh, I could just, this was it the whole time? Like, yeah, sometimes locked doors are just locked. But the effect of their choice was when they got up to the final level, the boss had left. Because it took them 30, 40 minutes to burn all of this hay, and he didn't want to wait around. Like, smoke is rising from beneath him. He's like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. So there's left. And I'm like, well, that's not very, that's not very fulfilling of an ending. He's like, yeah, neither is burning a bunch of hay in a room when you could just unlock the door. Cause, effect, choices. A lot of people don't think about, need to develop that skill. Part of your brain that thinks beyond the here and the now can be developed by practicing it. And D&D offers a safe place to develop that skill because there aren't real consequences in one sense. You're not going to get hurt um, by what you do in a fantasy game. The last one, and I think this one was really important for me, it's fun. I know we come to Pepperdine to get these great skills and get equipped for meaningful, you know, existential crisis of our, of our members who are really wrestling with some hard stuff. And all of that is very true. But I tell you, the reason I burned, one of the reasons among many why I burned out is I wasn't having fun in life. I wasn't enjoying the work, my family. I had nothing, I had no way of it just like getting away and getting rested and releasing tension. And I think God is a fun God. After all, have you seen the platypus? You can't tell me the creator of the platypus isn't a fun being or the giraffe. Like that thing is ridiculous looking. And yet here it is at a zoo and he's fun. And I think there's a lot of fun to be had in D&D. The barbarian in that quest, he took on like the aspect of a wolf or something. And so he would introduce himself as, uh, he would go, you know, to everyone he met. He would go, in all ways, except physical, I am the wolf. (laughs) And so my response to him every time was, I can't decide if that is the healthiest existential thing you've ever said or the craziest (laughs) but i'm here for it either way every character we had that intro wolf existential health and that became kind of a gag when he saw me i would he would say that and i would say that like it would be fun my mr tortell's song uh about his bizarre bizarre of wonder and weird for adventuring and whatnots um it is sung by tiny little golden turtle people 
um, that have a dance number to it. Uh, there is background music. Again, you're not hearing it, but, and the reason you're not hearing it is not because I'm afraid of singing in front of people. It's because it's an earworm and it will be stuck in your head the rest of your days. I do not wish to burden you with that. But they sing it whenever they see me. Not, not every time, but whenever we talk about D&D, they're just like, oh, remember Mr. Tortell? And then they start singing the songs like, yeah, I know, it's great. Um, we have fun. Uh, this past weekend, uh, I voiced the identity of an undead porcupine husband and wife named Harold and Gladys. <laughs> it wasn't designed to do that. The character wanted to talk to, there was a, a space of undead beings, and one of them was a family of porcupines. She was like, I would like to speak to animals. I was like, I don't know if an undead porcupine is an animal. And she's like, well, I can also speak to the undead. I was like, okay, whatever. So we had a fun little conversation. Um, it was weird. It was whimsical. Later on in that same campaign, she decided to speak to lichen because she can talk to plants. And so I created a lichen who was bent on conquering the earth as a, as a tyrannical form of lichen, which I just think is a really humorous idea to think that plants think that they can take over the world. Um, but it's just stuff like that. It's goofy. It's weird. It's whimsical. And in a world that is so, so serious, we need to be able to take breaks from the here and the now. That's what rest is. Okay, so those are my top four benefits of D&D. Before we move on to section three, any questions? I know it's on the list, but I, I would love to know the the corollary list. What 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 are not the, some of the benefits? What are some of the pitfalls? We'll come back to it if we get to it. Part of D&D is making choices and recognizing that some things... I just things, made a choice. You did. You did. <laughs> uh, I rolled the die, and the die told us what to do. I see. Maybe we can come back to it. Okay. Uh, but let's go to section three. Uh, tips or why this matters and why I'm talking about it. Oh, that's 16. I love this dice. Okay, again, checking. Sorry, it's upside down. Okay. So uh, let me tell you... Well, you got a Q&A after this. Um, so last year, I was teaching a class on ministerial burnout. My buddy Caleb was teaching a class called The Theological Implications of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We were right next door to each other. So as I'm talking about the dark things of depression and anxiety, you hear in the, like, the subtle background, like, and I likened it to, like, I imagine there being a fictional Pepperdine attending me and like, huh, Marvel Cinematic Universe burnout. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. <laughs> Honeypot, I can't find my tail again. I'm going to have fun. Uh, and I realized, like, every year at Pepperdine, I've had this, like, deep mental health-driven class, and I want to have a little bit more fun in my life. And also, D&D is a way people in the mental health industry are using D&D um, to help people who are struggling with depression, anxiety, um, fears of being in crowds, so forth and so on. That's not the only thing they're doing. I'm not saying D&D heals all things. Therapy is also a great way um, to deal with mental health issues. D&D <laughs> and therapy. That'll be next year's class. Um, so I thought about doing this class a year ago, and then, like, a D&D movie came out. And I was like, oh, great, now it's popular in the zeitgeist. And that's, that's one, like, it's culturally. I love that celebrities talk about 
um, playing D and D. Matthew Lilliard, he 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 was Scooby Doo in the like the old Scooby early two thousand Scooby Doo movies. He has a documentary produced by Time on called The Adventure Begins, and it's about D and D and his quest. I think that's what it's called. I haven't watched it because um, I don't have a subscription to Time, um, but I watched a TikTok of it and it looked good. Um, the guy who's married to Sofia Vergara, he runs a D&D campaign. Uh, Critical Role is huge. Uh, Vox Machina on Amazon has two seasons that are pretty good, uh, though loosey-goosey with the D&D. Um, Adventure Zone has been around for almost a decade, I think, right now. Um, there's some other D&D podcasts. That, like, most of my podcasts are D&D-based, uh, or Boy Meets World. Um, <laughs> Which was a shift from D&D and West Wing. So, like, this is, this is life. Um, so there's, there's this element, right, where it's a part of the culture of our time. And I think the church has a wonderful opportunity to lean into it. But I also think that there's, there's more there. Um, my friend who started her college campus, D Dungeons & Dragons and Devotionals, she said, I wanted a place where people who felt weird could feel welcome. And, and in the D&D community, historically, there has been this, and some of it's a stereotype, but some of it's true, just the, there's this outcast, misfit mentality to, to the players. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with being a misfit. And there's nothing wrong with, with feeling a little less like the popular normal crowd. Like that, there's, no, there's nothing wrong about that. But in my youth ministry, it was subtly spoken that the popular kids mattered more. The athletic kids mattered more. All of our games were never puzzle games. They were always sports games. And I got really good at Foursquare, which, you, you know, really stops being athletic after, like, third grade. But still. So there is this space where I think the church can, can, can be a place for misfits, for people who feel weird to feel welcome. Because we're all weird in our own ways. We're all different and, and abnormal. You know, Jesus sits and eats with, with sinners and saints. The Pharisees begrudge him of that. Um, there was a D&D, a, a, &D, a, a DM on TikTok who was explaining why uh, she creates the, the campaigns that she does. And she says, I want broken people to know that broken people can be heroes too. I was like, that, that's why we do this, right? Like, isn't that why we go to church? That broken people have a space, right? To say that you have a place in the body, that you matter. D&D &D is designed to let broken people know that they can be heroes. All of my characters have personality flaws or quirks. Um, I currently am playing an un... Uh, 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 he's a cleric. He's a new class of cleric, and so I don't know the exact... It's like a dead cleric of the grave. That's what he is. <laughs> he's designed after Batman. He, he's, his backstory is the Batman story. He wears a Batman mask. But he's Batman without agility. He has like a six agility, which means every time I make an agility check, I have to take away two or something. Like he's a dwarf. So he's not agile. He is non-agile Batman. He fails every stealth check he ever makes, uh, which can be very annoying. Um, I, I created a monk that had a low wisdom um, and that meant that every day he forgot who he was, which is just super fun to, to, to play that, and like the characters had to remind him of what he was all about. Um, there is a space where 
it's fun to play this godlike character, but there's also a lot of fun in playing flawed people because I connect to them more. And I also avoid escapism when I do that. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 20, this is where he talks about to the Jew, I became a Jew, to the Gentile, became a Gentile, I become all things to all people. I become dorks to those who are more dorky. I become a misfit to those who are misfits. I think Jesus would play D&D. And I think he'd be really good at it. <laughs> like, oh, a natural 20. Well, that's not fair, Jesus. <laughs> but I think he'd also give me a natural 20 on occasion. Um, I think there's a wonderful opportunity for relationship building in the D&D community. And particularly when we go into that community, as we go into any community with that Philippians 2 mindset, you know, your attitude should not be uh, selfish ambition, but should be that of Christ Jesus, who though being uh, in very uh, nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of, but considered himself a servant, taking on human and, and taking on to the very nature of obedience, death on a cross, and that elevated him. Like, like the subculture of D&D is like all subcultures, has a space where people are mocked and made fun of, there's pretension, there's cruelty, like all those spaces. But Christians, as we go into any space, go as servants, go as wounded healers, go as people to receive and welcome those who are just looking to be received and welcomed. Um, so I want to end the quest, and then we've got five minutes to talk about things that maybe you want to talk about. So... They go, they go through the puzzles, they find the witch, and um, she's actually an old gray zombie figure. She is dead when they get to her. She had this green amulet. They take the green amulet. They go out. There's a whole armies that gathered uh, to celebrate the destruction of the dragon and the witch, and they're like, yay, and then time stops. And then life begins to fade and colors begin to become less vibrant and graying. And then the, starting from the forest horizons, a blackness begins to overtake their world and their vision. And the people before them vanish. And then it's just the party. And the party begins to gray and begins to vanish and sink back into the void. And they become aware of the void and how one is aware of nothing is a conversation for another day. And then that itself ceases. And then three things happened simultaneously, though for the purposes of linear narration, we'll tell them linearly. Um, they feel the rocking of what is a ship of waves. They, they hear the sound of those waves crashing against a wall. They feel chains around their ankles and wrists. They feel the wood, the splintery wood of an oar in their hands, and they see rows upon rows of slaves around them with them. And they turn and see behind them a young lady with red hair and a green amulet who whispers in a voice that they can still hear and recognize without recognizing it. And she says, do we have things to talk about? And that's actually how that campaign began. And the question for the players was, well, did the, did the quest that we just did with the dragon, was that the future? Or the past? Or the past? Was that to come? Was that an illusion? And I didn't tell them this, but I'll tell you. I have no idea. 
<laughs> I just thought it was a great way to start a campaign and let them figure it out for themselves. And sometimes that's what's fun is I don't know where the story's going to go. Like, it's not my job to force them into a thing. It's my job to, to provide uh, a framework for adventure, um, which is what ministry really is, I think. All right. So we got five minutes for some Q&A. Uh, do you want to cover something that we didn't cover? Do you have other questions? Yeah. Tips, please. Tips? Okay, sure. Uh, what did I write? All right. Oh, different type. <laughs> I mean, you can give me 25. That's fine. I have Venmo. Uh, let's go. Tip number one. Be where games are. Uh, there are D&D cons, there are game, maybe there is a game store in your area. Um, the local game store in my area is run by a very brisk, not brisk, brusque, he's surly, let's say that, he's huh. very surly, he's difficult to talk to, um, but he has all the figures, all of the books, and they, they have D&D games. And, and I would say be where the games are, be where the, where the players are. Um, Listen to their stories. Listen to their, their interests. Be missionally inquisitive and curious. Uh, another thing is host a game. <laughs> uh, oh, also, like, there are lots of online discords, uh, online D&D communities. Like, the Internet is just a treasure trove of finding where people are playing D&D. It's not hard um, to find it. It just takes time. Uh, I would say it, it might be a place for, to host a game. I know people are always looking for DMs and dun dungeon masters, people to guide. And, and I found that parties are very, like, gracious towards a dungeon master. Like, I'm not great, but I, I do my best. And people are just happy to play the game, even if it's bad. Um, now, if they pay you, there's a certain level of expectation. That's why I'm free, because I'm not professional. Um, I, I also envision a place like Chris Pine in an interview said that every school should have a D&D &D club, uh, a place where kids can learn these interpersonal skills. Uh, I think this would be great for youth ministries. I keep telling my youth minister he needs to learn to play D&D &D, and he keeps saying maybe later. Um, but I think you know one thing a church could do if you have the space is, is, is make connections with the D&D crew in your community and, and host a, a game night. People are always looking for spaces to play. Like Sometimes that's the big problem is where do I play on a regular basis? Which also, I think that means be, brings in tip three is be consistent. It's hard to do week by week. If you can, great, but at least be monthly if you're going to try this. Um, but be consistent, both in timing and also in character. Yeah. I had a question about, because when I was playing, when I was growing up, the big thing about D&D, the church was like totally like against it. Oh, yeah. Because it could open up right. things where you are, and you know, with the spell casting and all the stuff sure. that you're doing. What has changed that makes it more acceptable and then the fact that you're using it as a ministry, which I think is awesome, but I'm what has changed? Um, Nothing. <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah, got I think, super I think popular. The appetite for fantasy has really changed. Yeah. Like, yeah, in general, people. So are it, yeah, the main thing is the separation right between fantasy and reality. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think, but I think that's changed. Yes. I think 
when it first came out, there was a lot of mystery around it. People mm -hmm. just didn't understand it. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, oh, well, we just need to stay away from it. Yes. And as people understood more of the benefits and more that it wasn't all the satanic stuff, then I think that attitude relaxed. Also, what I think changed, and someone pointed this out mm -hmm. to me, um, media. Op, op, uh, opportunity to media. So like in the, in the 80s, right, when it really, in the Stranger Things, somewhat spoof, but also very true for how the church reacted to this. All you had was like one television set with that one televangelist who had that one opinion. But now in the digital age, you've got a lot of different opportunities to hear different speakers, different preachers, different people saying, I play D&D and I have no desire to worship Satan. <laughs> I have played D&D, &D and I don't think I'm a wizard in real life. Could but I am also, magical. Couldn't you also take that as the same shape? Like people play with the Ouija board. It's made by Parker Brothers. Yeah, you could. It's on the shelf. But yet, I wouldn't want my kids touching a Ouija board. And I think that's got to be a person-to-person -person conversation, yeah. right? Yeah. Like with everything. We could say the same thing for football, like with concussions and I physical injuries. Like, yeah. And I, I we think need to get rid of we need to have those conversations. <laughs> well, that's a different conversation for another day. Roll Tide. Um, <laughs> The problem is we need to have those conversations before making those decisions, and we don't make space for that. Correct. Like, there, like agency, uh, good and bad, evil. Like, there are a lot. My buddy Joe loves using D&D to talk about Jesus in, in, like, a healthy, not weird way because a lot of the things you deal with in campaigns are spiritual in nature, are true to life. It's that, it's that place where fantasy and reality converge. And what makes, like, every fantasy novel that I read that's good is good because it makes me think more deeply about life. Um, yeah, and then, the, you know, the last one, I'll just say this one is be prayerful. Uh, in Colossians chapter 4, Paul talks about praying for doors to open. Um, I think there are all kinds of opportunities when you make a D&D campaign to have conversations. Life happens. I spent two years with one campaign, and COVID hit. And so we, we weathered half of COVID together through D&D. &D. Uh, and that was our, that was our lifeboat. Um, so there's, there are my thoughts uh, in challenges, actually, to talk about like challenges to the church. But we didn't get there. That's OK. Um, my, again, here, are, if you want materials to further expand your own experiences, go for it. Uh, my email, if you want to talk more, is kyle s at cordovachurch.com. Uh, I would be happy to talk more. If, if you want to try to get something happening at your church, um, I am meeting with a friend at church to see what we can do to get more D&D happening at our church. Um, so I'm not an expert, but I have ideas. Uh, I'd be more than happy to have those conversations. Um, thank you for being here. I hope this wasn't a waste of your time. Uh, and if it was, that's okay too. Because time is not a commodity anyway. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.